Welcome to Class Session 33. Today's class, as you may have noticed, is very short. This is because I spent a long time at the beginning of class talking to my students about their big final papers, explaining my expectations, answering questions, and giving advice. I will try to be very efficient on Wednesday and get through as much material from Book 4, the second half of the two towers, as I can. I also have another compensation to offer in order to make up for today's short class. This Thursday, April 15th, at 4.30 p.m., Tolkien scholar Michael Drought will be visiting my college and giving a talk titled Whole Worlds Out of Single Words, Tolkien and Language. Professor Drought will also be visiting my class on Friday for the start of The Return of the King. So there is some very cool bonus material coming up in the second half of this week that I hope to get out to you as soon as possible. Anyway, on to our brief discussion. Now... The question that we kind of started but didn't quite really start talking about last time is how are the dynamics different in the relationship between Frodo and Gollum in the book compared to the films? So what do you notice about Frodo and Gollum in the books? Derek? Uh, Frodo is more aware of um, what Gollum's thinking. And um, he, he, it's more like um, the relationship of like, you know, like a babysitter with like a spoiled child or something, you know? There is a clear authority dynamic, that, which is very strongly emphasized, I agree. Um, and even, as you say, knowing what Gollum is thinking, Frodo in the film sympathizes with Gollum, um, but it is not clear that he really kind of knows what's going on. And in fact, one of the primary dramatic tensions in the film is that Sam sees more clearly what Gollum really has in his head than Frodo does, right? In fact, you'll note, do you remember the passage um, in, when, when they're in the book now, when they're sitting in front of the Black Gate? And Sam uh, is, Tolkien tells us about Sam's opinion, belief that Frodo is one of the wisest people in the world, and how simultaneously Sam holds the, the, the incompatible belief that he is so extremely kind uh, that his kindness must entail a certain degree of blindness, right? And he doesn't, he confuses kindness with blindness. And, and again, this is, as Tolkien points out, incompatible with the idea that he's very, very wise. Um, the films, in the films, Frodo is blind. Um, and Tolkien is going very much in the opposite direction there. Frodo knows what's going on far better, appreciates what's going on far better than Sam does. Um, and is very much not fooled by Gollum. Now, he still does treat him kindly, um, and he still does sort of bear with him and show more patience to him. Uh, you know, it, in the book, it is still Sam that Gollum calls the cross-rude hobbit, right? Um, compared to kind master, you know, to, to the kind master and everything. But it's, um, he is not he is not blind. He does know. Not, it doesn't just sympathize with him or project onto him, as the film Frodo seems to be, even more than sympathizing, perhaps. But he really can see, as Sam emphasized, can, can really almost see into his mind at times. And, picking up, Derek, on the second thing that you said, he does. There is some a serious authority thing. In the film, they might say master, but there is not the clear master-servant relationship as there very much is um, in the book. Jordan? Um, building on that, though, 
The relationship with Gollum seems different, dangerous in an entirely different way than in the movies. And the so photos in danger of becoming someone who is, has command, mm-hmm. has bent his will to the domination of others, which Galadriel says is key to getting the one wing to work for you. And he, and he says, if I was wearing it, referring to the wing, were to command you, you would obey, even if it were to leap from the precipice or to cast yourself into the fire. That's not going to be true unless he has bent his will to the domination of others, which, since he has not done, is the thing that is keeping him safe from the will of the, the, will of the wing. Yeah, cast yourself off a precipice or into the fire to choose two random examples. But yes, <clears throat> exactly. He is, he is an authority. He is commanding. And Jordan's right that this is, at best, a morally ambiguous position. For Frodo to be in. On the one hand, we have, I mean, in fact, the, 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 the dynamics between Frodo, Sam, and Gollum are really interesting in this regard. Frodo and Sam are a master-servant relationship, which is clearly a good thing, a good thing on both of their parts. Um, the relationship between Frodo and Gollum is also master-servant, but does not seem to be good on either one of their parts in some ways. Um, Now, it's not to say that it's unambiguously wrong, but it is complicated. And I agree, the more commanding he gets, the more authority he wields, the more authority he claims, the more sketchy things appear to get, especially when, as in the passage you quoted, Jordan, um, this is command using the ring. That, I mean, he's threatening to put on the ring and then command God because the ring uh, overcame you long ago. And I know, whatever I do, wearing the ring, any command I give you, you will obey. Putting on the ring and using the ring to command people, that's not a good idea. Now, he's not actually doing it, right? And he says only at the you know, uttermost need would I do that. But... Uh, Probably under any circumstances, that would be a bad idea. So I, I agree that we can see at least the beginnings of or the threatenings of moral compromise of Frodo here, moral corruption. He's not yet corrupt, but we can see the temptation to it. It's more slippery than those of Karapras. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is a slippery slope. Um, I think that the... Frodo-Gollum relationship is kind of close to Saruman-Wormtongue, and the Frodo-Sam relationship is kind of like Phaedon and the Riders. They're willing to be commanded, and he's willing to command them, but it's a very hesitant, I think, relationship on both sides in the Frodo-Gollum relationship. I mean, he doesn't even want to be going to Mount Doom, really, but he knows he has to do it, and like, Gollum, badly, is the only thing that is going to probably get him there. Yeah, I mean, I, of course there are, you know, I wouldn't want to be too wholesale about those parallels, but I agree, I certainly do agree. I mean, I, I think that you're pointing to something really important there. Um, that is, there are some relationships in which there is hierarchy, there is authority, there is command, which are apparently very good, very positive. Say it in, and, you know, the, command me, my Lord. I mean, they're all coming up and saying that. Um, and it's plainly a good thing. It's part of his own healing and the healing of his land that he takes his rightful position as king, um, leading them himself, of course, uh, and not just commanding them. Uh, and, uh, you know, like Saruman does, standing at the gates and watching his magnificent army go off 
to battle. Of course, you notice the irony of that. Had he led his army like a good king, of course, Treebeard wouldn't have caught him at home. Gandalf would have caught him. But still, anyway, the point is he wouldn't have been... One of the reasons he's trapped like he is is because he's doing what a good king, what a good leader wouldn't do, which is stay home. What Theoden refuses to do, which is stay home while his army goes out to fight. Um, So anyway, yes, Frodo, Sam, Theoden, the Rohirrim. We see positive hierarchical examples, authority examples. Saruman, Wormtongue. Yeah, exactly. We do see... Negative examples. One, authority which is more like ownership, more like slavery. Now, this is not to say that from the beginning, Frodo to Gollum is as Saruman to Wormtongue. But, as Jordan has pointed out, we have reason to be uncomfortable with, you know, that, that, that it's, does not comfortably fit into the pattern of the good, uh, the good hierarchical relationships, the good authority relationships that we see in other places. Um, look at a couple passages nearer to the beginning of their relationship. First of all, page 601. This is Frodo's little flashback to chapter 2 of the Fellowship of the Ring when he hears in his mind... His conversation with Gandalf about Gollum and pity. Now, one interesting thing here, he adds a line to Gandalf's speech, something Gandalf didn't say. It's something Gandalf was implying at the time, but that he didn't actually say. Deserves death? I dare say he does. Many that live deserve death, and some die that deserve life. Can you give that to them? Then be not too eager to deal out death in the name of justice, fearing for your own safety. Even the wise cannot see all ends. Fearing for your own safety is the part that wasn't there in the Fellowship of the Ring. But in Frodo's memory, he adds that bit. Now again, it's a sensible extrapolation in the, in the, in the exchange that immediately comes after. In the context of this, when this happens, when this part of the conversation happen, happens in the Fellowship of the Ring during the Shadow of the Past, chapter 2, this is after he's already told Gollum's whole story. Frodo doesn't come in with the, what a pity Gollum didn't stab the vile creature while he had the chance. This comes up only when Gandalf says, oh yeah, by the way, and Sauron has heard of, you know, uh, Mr. Baggins of Bag End and is probably coming to look for you right now. That's the moment where, fearing for his own safety, Frodo says, what a pity he didn't stab the vile creature while he had the chance. Um, Gandalf is clearly responding to that very understandable, but self-focus by Frodo there. His desire to protect himself by lashing out, even sort of in retrospect, at Gollum. Um, and of course, in this we can see, this is, this is the context that we're given for the beginning of their relationship. Don't just fear for your own safety. Don't just think of yourself. Now that's a good impulse. If he's really thinking about Gollum, if he's really concerned about Gollum and not just about himself. Again, the film Frodo is thinking about himself, it seems, almost all the time. Um, but if you're not just thinking about yourself and your own safety and you're thinking about him, well, hey, that's a really good thing. Look on page 604, the little vision that Sam has when he sees them confronting each other. 
Middle of the page there. For a moment it appeared to Sam that his master had grown and Gollum had shrunk. A tall, stern shadow. A mighty lord who hid his brightness in gray cloud and at his feet a little whining dog. Yet the two were in some way akin and not alien. They could reach one another's minds. What do we think about this? Is this a good thing? A bad thing? How are we supposed to respond to this? Sam seems generally positive about it. When Sam sort of, or when Frodo rather, gets all authoritative with Gollum, Sam seems to like it. He seems to approve. He's glad of it. But what do we think here? Eve? I don't know. It kind of sounds a bit to me like when Strider says that he had to be stern with him. Like, I think that might be the way in which Sam approves of it. Like, obviously, he has to be stern with him. I mean, he's just, like, fighting little mongrels. He can't just, like, be like, oh, okay, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, there certainly is a sense in which seeing Gollum as a little whining dog is, from Sam's perspective, a compliment. I mean, to, to compare Gollum to a dog is... Yeah, only a risk of insulting dogs in Sam's mind, right? I mean, he, yes, he's a small, cringing thing, but he's, of course, far worse than a dog um, because, of course, there's this very strong moral dimension. He's a despicable creature. Um, and so, therefore, it seems, anyway, for Sam, it's perfectly appropriate for him to be stern with him. He's not going to have any problem with that. Aaron? I think the line that's a little further down that says, um, at once Gollum got up and began prancing about like a whipped cur whose master just patted it, I think that line shows that Frodo is willing to use not-so-good means of controlling Gollum with the whipped cur line because he doesn't mind threatening him with the ring to get what he wants from Gollum. Yeah, it... Like, like a whipped cur who had been patted implies a dog who is routinely beaten, but treated with kindness, presumably by the person who beats him. So it is, it, 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 especially coming on the heels of the whining dog image, does, I don't think it necessarily means Frodo's treatment of Gollum is exactly the same as a person who beats his dog. But it does it does create a questionable um, connection. Rachel? <clears throat> For me, the interesting line, if I remember correctly, is how there's not the same in that yes. situation. I think that's a comment on the type of power that Frodo's using, because the type of power that you have where there's a hierarchy established and you use that um, neg- in a negative, negatively forceful way, it automatically demeans both the person that's being used on and the person using it. So I think in the description, and then ending the description with how they look the same, it shows how the, the power is corrupting both of them. Not, it's not just hurting God, it's hurting Frodo too. Yeah, and e- e- even if in different ways, um, it is still corrupting them, and they are connected. What connects them primarily? The primary thing that Frodo and Gollum have in common is the ring. Um, and yeah, that, that does establish... They are alike. Of course, that also would seem to undermine the apparent um, hierarchy that's being established there. They're not really in hierarchy. 
um, not in the same way that Theoden and the Rohirrim are, not even in the same way that Frodo and Sam are. Um, and what, but what also what binds them is something that's very, that's very dangerous, that's very, that's very corrupting. Um, the same thing that reduced Gollum into the whining dog figure is also elevating Frodo into the master figure, but that doesn't make them different. That makes them the same. I, 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 I think that's a really good point. Um, before we go, I, I want to look at the oath that Gollum swears. On the, on, well, he wants to swear it on the precious, swears it by the precious instead because Frodo's not going to pull it out for him to put his hand on and swear the, and swear the oath. Um, what does Frodo caution him about? He tells him that the ring will hold him to his promise, so be sure of what you're saying, because the ring might twist your words. Okay, good. Two things there, right? First, that the ring will hold him to his promise. If he's going to swear by the ring, it has power to, to, to make that oath happen. You are, you are investing this oath with power, with the power of the ring itself. Um, and secondly, that it will twist your words. It is more treacherous than you are. The ring may twist... Your words. So those are the two cautions he gives him. Nick? And doesn't it later twist his words when he's having a schizophrenic conversation with himself? He's debating with Gollum because he's the master of precious. If they take it, then he'll be the master and he can close himself. Well, we see there Gollum trying to twist the terms of the oath, right? Where he says, so like, he promised that he would help the master, uh, and then. His, his other voice, the ones that Sam calls Slinker and Stinker, right? So Stinker, uh, the Stinker voice, says, but if we had the ring, then we would be the master and we could help ourselves. And that's plainly a perversion of the, of the you know, a, an attempt to twist the oath. But remember, that's what Frodo was cautioning him against. It's more treacherous than you. Given you are treacherous and you're going to try to twist this oath. But remember, when you do... You're going to be out-twisted. You're going to be out-betrayed by the ring. Um, so that's actually the caution Gollum should be remembering at this time. One last caution about Gollum, and then I'll let you go. Remember, as I said, it's, I think Gollum is the hardest character to forget the movie version when you're reading the book. And the number one thing, in the movie, we get the good Gollum and the bad Gollum fighting against each other. We don't see that. At least we don't see that so clearly. Notice the two names that Sam gives to him. Slinker and Stinker. This is not the good guy and the bad guy. This is the devious guy and the openly evil guy. Now you can say these are Sam's names for it and maybe he's not quite doing him justice and even Sam immediately afterwards recognizes that maybe he wasn't doing justice to the complexity of Gollum's own internal situation. But this is not a question of like an adorable, inner, oppressed, Smeagol persona, uh, fighting, you know, trying, to, trying to be free. Um, again, and no insult to the films. It's my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the films. I mean, of all of the changes they make to the book, this is by far my favorite. I think it's a brilliant thing that they do with Gollum in the films. It's just really different from Tolkien's Gollum, and we need to keep that in mind as, as we move forward. Don't get too much sympathy for Gollum, like the movies ask you to do. The books ask for much less sympathy. See you on Wednesday.
Okay, I promise we will get through more than this next time. We will be reading through the end of the two towers, so there will be a lot to talk about. Thanks for listening, and Godspeed.